This is a Culture Inject production. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back to Part of Us, an In Vogue fan cast. Um, as a reminder, if you'd like to follow us online, visit us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at In Vogue Craze. Stream our podcast on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts, YouTube, and anywhere else that you can stream podcasts. Ideas, interview requests, comments, and questions. Email them to us at invocecraze at gmail.com. All right. Uh, this week's episode is about our favorite live performances. But first, we're going to head into what's trending. So we asked our Instagram followers, which would they prefer, an Invogue biopic or an Invogue Broadway Vegas stage produ- production? The results are in and 20% are in favor of a Broadway or Vegas musical, while 80% will prefer a biopic. Did any of you guys vote? Of course. What did you vote yeah, for? Yes. Uh, of course I did. What would you prefer? <laughs> of course we need to see the movie. We need the drama. We need the, the dirt. Like, I think a, a musical production would be cute, you know, but I think the movie would get, give you the nitty gritty, you know, the arguments, the shade, the, you know, all the drama that, of course, people want to see. I voted as well, and I voted for a biopic as well. I think that it it would be entertaining and give more insight into, like, people's inner monologues, people's inner struggle. You know, like, when this happened, you know, how did Cindy and Terry feel? When this happened, how did Maxine feel? You know what I mean? Like, maybe we can get, like, some um, inside scoop on, like, Amanda Cole and, like, her story or Rona. You know what I mean? It's like, there are things that we can explore that our Broadway production would be too, you know, jazz hands. And I'm and, and maybe that can come after a biopic because I know that people there are people like like the Spice Girls or Britney Spears who have Broadway musicals inspired by their music which I guess is cool to like to have their catalog be the the, the soundtrack for the production but I, I want the drama I want the story um, I want to see some behind the scenes that we never knew that happened um, and I want to see the girls really go for it especially I feel like with the success of the Clark Sisters biopic, if they can get that vulnerable, I think Invoke can too. So give me that biopic. But I would only want it if everyone is participating. Like everyone has to give their, you know, their sure. experience. Cause otherwise it's like, it's just gonna be kind of cheesy to me. You're gonna be one-sided. Yeah. But as we'll get to later, everybody got a different version of events. So I don't know. Well, well, we well. Ever, I don't know that we'll ever actually get to, like on the same page, but I agree. I think a biopic would be a great idea. Like, and like a multi-night, I don't need a condensed one and a half hours. Like I want like a, I really appreciated the new edition one. The new edition yes. one really, was really, really well done. And even um, like the Jacksons who did like, their, theirs was five parts. So it was like so 10 hour journey. So agree you need, you need a different night for every girl to tell her version of the story <laughs> right right because have you guys seen that that movie about um tanya harding i forget what it's called it came out of Hi, tanya yeah, yeah. And it was it was like telling it from her perspective you know it's just it was kind of just it would be really mm-hmm. neat to kind of see like everyone's different perspective of the same 
event. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like that would be very entertaining because I'm sure it would be like at least three different <laughs> versions right. of yeah, the same the night, you know? Yeah, you talk to all the girls and like just see like what was your mindset, what was going on in your head, what was going on in your life when this happened. I feel like it will inform, you know, why a certain person did what they did. You know, like for example, like the whole litigation situation. You know, like obviously Don and Maxine have their own interpretation of like, oh, you know, them dirty bitches. You know, you. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you have your own interpretation of, like, why they did what they did, but perhaps Cindy and Terry, they can elaborate and say, well, this is this is where we were coming from, you know? You don't have to agree, but at least you can understand people's sides of the of the coin, per se, so. Well, I guess I'm the only one. I didn't vote, because um, I'm not on Instagram, but I would like a Broadway musical. I think I would love to see the jazz really? hands. And I think <laughs> you would get, you know, you could get songs that they didn't do like I feel like the biopic of course is supposed to be like real life so it's going to be the same songs we've been hearing for the last 30 years um or 25 or whatever but with the Broadway show like there could be songs like when Don gets kicked out then she could have a song like I was just watching Jim and the Holograms and there was an episode where Roxy left the Misfits and she had her song it was like I'm gonna change my luck and I was like, oh my god, that would be so cool if like, Don, like she gets kicked up and she has a song. I mean, you know, they're just I, I just feel like there's more opportunities to be creative. I love creativity. So um, I think that would be so nice to kind of celebrate the, their hits and then also have, uh, you know, new music and um, just just expand on the story and just make it grand. So I would be in favor of a, uh, not Las Vegas, absolutely not Las Vegas, but Broadway. It has to be Broadway, period. Yes. <laughs> I think both would be good. I just think, I think the movie would be more in depth in like the, uh, a show, a Broadway show would give you like an overall like idea, you know, of what, what they're trying to say versus the film. I think it could be really interesting to do like a, the thing I, li- I liked about what the Spice Girls did with it was that they did a, I think they kind of did a, a musical or maybe it was somebody else I, I don't know the kind of like the dream girls effect where it's like loosely based on like so that you can take a lot of creative liberties to make something that feels more cons- like consumable by like the masses so i think like the fans want to see like the, the the particulars and the details of like what happened so i think like a biopic works for that but like a musical means you can you can give dawn a swan song and you can ha- let exactly. her have her her i am changing moment or you know <laughs> exactly <laughs> she 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 needs it um broadway presents <laughs> don't let go an in vogue musical yeah! there you go boom yes boom. bro let's do it <laughs> call call me Cindy Terry, call me. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but speaking, <laughs> speaking of, you know, um, I was in a Facebook group, of, which is for like In Vogue super fans or whatever, and someone posed this question that really made me think. And the question was, are other girl groups like SWV and Escape more highly regarded by the industry than In Vogue? <laughs> for example... Well, for example, SWV and Escape were both honored by BET and the Soul Train Awards, but In Vogue has not. You know, so people people are begging the question like, well, does the industry, does the audience, do they like those groups more than In Vogue? 
Are they more popular? What is your take? Matan, I want to hear from you first because I feel like... Oh, I thank um, you. <laughs> well, one, I think they picked the wrong groups to uh, maybe compare and vogue to. I don't feel like they're comparable. I guess, you know, maybe history can be revisionist and I guess like as years go on people can kind of muddy everything and like you can say like oh well the Supremes are a 60s girl group even though there's so much more than that and Vogue to me is just so much more than a 90s girl group and so I just feel like um they're kind of I'm at a loss for words but no okay to get straight to the question no I don't feel like they're more respected I don't feel like they got the Sammy Davis Jr's awards and all the commercials and all the stuff that in Vogue got in their heyday I think history is revisionist in this sense because they're more visible due to reality shows and um Real Housewives of Atlanta T.I. it's things like that so exactly it's they have more visibility and I think that's what it is and like for instance Tiny, she had a BET show. So Train is BET. BT is BET. Uh, I feel like pretty much all the Escape Girls lived on TV at some period of time. We had Tiny and yeah. Toya. You had The Family Hustle. You have Real Housewives of Atlanta. Probably more reality shows than I can remember. I know Latasha did R&B, R&B Divas. Divas. Right, right, right. R&B Divas. SWV. Escape had their uh, miniseries for their tour. Right, right, right. What was it called? Just Kicking It. Every man was a woman. And, yes. um... Uh, then SWV they had a BET show Taj had a married a baller Taj was on Survivor then they had the show on Wii so I just feel like they have more visibility now and it's reality it, it's just all based on kind of reality but in the long run the music uh, that In Vogue has it, like even with them not being as visible and just touring like you watch just random stuff like Selena the series they're playing Give It Up Turn It Loose uh, Young Sheldon like they had that I mean, it wasn't in the episode, but there was like a preview was never going to get. It just, it's their music mm-hmm. holds up better, and the, their music it just it just shows up in in movies and commercials, and so I don't think they're really comparable to me. Like if it was like TLC or Spice Girls, maybe there would be an argument, but Escape <laughs> and SUV, I, I'm no, and I love and I have I have their records, I love them, but they're just not comparable. Let I mean, let's be real. Um, in Vogue, th- those groups can't hold the candle to In Vogue. That's right. Because you have four women who are all lead singers, who are all well versed in a mo- in a myriad of different talents, whether it's acting, modeling, singing. You know, I, I just feel like SWV. Coco is the front runner. Yes. The other two are just glorified background singers. As as wonderful as they are, as much personality that they have, they're not Coco, you know. But each woman in in in, um, in Vogue, they all have their moments, and every single iconic song, each one of them has a lead. You know what I mean? Right. And I feel like even with Escape. Tasha Scott is like their premier singer, but I'm like the other three. And I love Candy; she's super cute on uh, Atlanta Housewives. But but she's a writer. She's not a she's not a front a front runner girl. And she wasn't their writer no, she, either, which is interesting the, to me. It's like exactly. So it, her claim to fame came after the group broke up, right? You know, so it's like so it's like yeah, maybe maybe Escape has Escape has gotten has had a chance to kind of rebrand because Candy is a TV personality and because she's very visible, you know, so her brand has allowed them to have a new shelf life for their group. But in Vogue, they have it, 
in Vogue could just been in Vogue. You know what I mean? So I don't think that they're more regarded. I think in Vogue, um, in Vogue is that girl, has always been that girl, and will always be that girl. <laughs> I agree. I think I, totally I saw agree. you. I think I saw. I think, at first, I thought it was a typo, but Champ put SWC, and I was like, "Ooh, the shade!" I was like, "Okay, sisters with Coco." <laughs> yeah, they're, they're not even important enough for me to do a spell check. Who cares? <laughs> Can I say one thing though? Like, there's a. I, I hope you all have seen this. If not, you should totally go watch it. There's a show on Netflix called This Is Pop, and they did like an episodic sort of journey through different types of um, or eras or components of pop music. So they did like a whole episode on auto tune. They did a whole episode on why is Sweden this like this epicenter of good pop music. But they did a whole episode on Boys to Men that I thought was really interesting um, because they basically laid the groundwork for why boys to men was such a pivotal boy boy group or boy band um and then talked about how they don't get their love because everybody that came after them basically stole what they did so like new kids on the block and um all of the boy bands of the 90s they're sort of actually boys insane 90 degrees they're all derivatives of of the boys to me i kind of think a little bit about that when i think about in vogue because i feel like in vogue came a little bit before even the groups that we're we're talking about here so i feel Mm -hmm. like they laid a groundwork that they don't get credit for and then other girls got to leverage it and take advantage of it in more visible ways and so they get the love but like the originators or the folks who really did it first or better don't get the love yeah did you see escape singing that kind of crunchy version of hold on on teen summit like before they had a record deal and i know swv they sang in vogue songs and you know I mean, they studied in Vogue. Coco has said it. So it's not like they haven't given in Vogue props. So I'm just like, where is this coming from? Why are people saying this? (laughs) (laughs) Come on, Voice of Reason. Look, Jonathan. I can feel it. I can feel it. There's something coming. It's such a layered topic. Um, Let's see. Smooth it out for us. Smooth it out for us. (laughs) Well, I think there, there are just different ways you can look at it. Like, I think SWV and Escape, when it comes to like black culture, um, I think they have records that resonate a little bit more for black people. You know, like SWV and Escape are not getting honored at the Grammys or some other mainstream situation. Like they have hit records that specifically really um, target black people. You know, like I was in the, I was, at a bar Thursday night and I'm listening to a SWV mix, you know, or I'm hearing, um, you know, just taking it or who can I run to? Like, I feel like as a black person who listens to black radio, I do hear SWV and escape far more than I ever hear in both with the exception of hold on, which is definitely one of those records that I think is in rotation a lot. But I say all that to say, I think those other two groups just have a stronger, urban appeal whereas in vogue to me was definitely more mainstream than the other two groups more successful they sold more records they had more of that kind of universal appeal like when i saw in vogue in concert over the summer i mean you know there were like white people you know different races kind of singing these songs who i'm pretty sure they wouldn't know swd or escape so (laughs) i think that it just has a lot to do with those other two groups having that appeal 
you know, like Weak is one of those songs that is still relevant to this day. You know what I mean? And they I have I hate that song so But it's it's it is it is like a huge record and in my it's an it is and like in my opinion, I think like if you're talking about like a versus situation, for example, I don't think Invoke has a record that can beat Weak just that one song (laughs) i absolutely don't i don't think so especially when you think about like black people when you when black people hear weak by swv that is an instant karaoke we are going to sing we are going to you know do the breakdown and do all of that yeah i'm just talking about one song i'm not i'm just saying like i think they have a i'm just speaking to um I think they have songs that just cater more to the black audience. Like Rain, what was the SWB song that was going viral on TikTok? Like all late, I think it was Rain. Um, I think it was. Yeah, I think it was. you know, like that song is 20 years old and it's still like it is going viral in 2021 on TikTok. You know what I'm saying? Like it's. I think they just have certain records that appeal a little bit more. I don't think they're a better group. I don't think they have, they haven't sold more albums or anything. I just think it's black people feeling that thing. And the other thing is, I have to say that if I were like BET or Soul Train or whatever, and I wanted to like give someone a lifetime achievement award, like I'm going to want to see the original group. I'm going to want to see Taj, Coco, and Lily. I'm going to want to see Tiny, Tamika, Candy, Latasha. You know, like I want to see the the people that they know. One of the things that's working against In Vogue is that, I mean, during their height and their, um, you know, their success, it was four of them. Now it's three. So <laughs> I think that's also one of the things that may have something to, to do with them not getting some of those other opportunities that the other groups get that have their original members. Well, I mean, that's a valid. Mm, that's a valid point. I don't. That's a valid point. I mean, I get what you're saying to a certain extent because it's like, I don't. We're all from different cities, so like in Los Angeles, I don't hear Escape if I listen to like the black stations that we have are the urban R&B station that we have. It's like the Wave, KJLH. I don't hear escape at all. And maybe it's more so if, like if you're in a Southern region, you know, where they're from, you might hear it. Like I know when I go to DC, like I hear It's very Atlanta heavy, very DMV heavy. Right, 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 right. You know. So that could have something to but, do with it. Um, yeah, not the West Coast. And then kind of like the stereotype of what black listeners listen to. Like Tracy Chapman is huge, but I guess maybe she doesn't have that kind of urban sound. So she'll never get honored for anything by BTR Soul Train. But as far as respect and name recognition and value i don't think they have that like it's great that they got um, a lifetime achievement award from bet and soul train but i just feel like you know it has more so to do not so with the music because i don't think the music has really jumped and sold because of the exposure it's more so the celebrity aspect and that's basically what drives the culture now celebrity and social media so but i mean i see what you're saying no, it makes sense. I think that I think that when you do, if you do a, um, if you do a lifetime achievement, you can have all five of them there. The same way they were all, they all came when they honored um, that the lady whose name I keep forgetting, and I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, I'll still be around. Together, it was five. Of them. 
Sylvia Rome, they all came together for that specific purpose. And I, and, and one, we all know Dawn is not missing in Invoke Honor. <laughs> she will be there. She will be there. The, uh, the difference, though, the difference, though, I feel like is that, like, the drama with, I feel like the drama with, like, lineup changes happened and it continues to be a, 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 a point of tension after they peaked if that like if, so like it's like uh what's a girl group where like i'm trying to think of, i keep pulling up the spice girls because i don't know why but like when they all five got back together it was a big deal right because like they they were the group that was at their peak that was all five of them and so i feel like bringing all five currently <laughs> like like they did with Sylvia Roan doesn't have an impact because unfortunately the masses are unfamiliar with like the fact that Roan has been holding it down for however many years and so like it really is unfortunately they're in such a like between a rock and a hard place because they don't get the same privileges that a lot of other groups do because of how the drama went but I do think that like JP has a point about um, about that but in more so I feel like there's also to Matan's point there's something wrong with how we honor people or how we choose to honor people because there's lots of black entertainers that fall outside of urban R&B etc genres and that deserve love from black entertainment television exactly <laughs> um, like how's the Pointer so, Sisters never been honored by BET but right. SWV and Escape have <laughs> I was just gonna say the Pointer Sisters, like that is they I love the Pointer Sisters, but they don't get that recognition. But I think, you know, their demo was definitely, you know, a little bit different at their peak. I mean, like it's it's like it's them, it's you see it with like Dionne Warwick, you see it with like like Tracy Chapman was just mentioned. I feel like all like there's just there's a lot of especially black women artists who have existed on that sort of like peripheral or on that like yeah. line between R&B and other genres that I feel like they that are just deserving of of their of their flowers that don't get them. Well, hold on. So I don't good. think S, I don't remember SWB or Escape getting like an honor <laughs> from S from BUT unless I missed something. Soul like, Train. SWV got the Soul Train Soul like Train icon. Oh, the version of that's the icon right. I, okay. Yeah. I, that was a few yeah. years back. Okay. Okay. I remember that. So, if you have footage of En Vogue, video or audio, especially early En Vogue, and you don't mind sharing it, please, 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 please send it to us at partofusevf at gmail.com, and we'll host it on our YouTube channel and credit you, of course. Um, we're always looking to add to our library. We want the archive. We want to be the premier archive of all the En Vogue stuff. So, if you have something to share, please go ahead and send it to us. And time it's time now for us to jump into today's discussion why an episode about our favorite invoke performances well because the group has many standout performances some might even say iconic from their 30 plus years in the business so why not reminisce about some of our favorites hearing that invoke would be performing on a show you knew you were in for a treat it was always an event and like our city hall said you never know what four women would show up because their looks and style would change so often. I think I'm going to get into my favorite perform, my third favorite Invogue performance of all time. And this one is 
their tribute to the Shirelles. I don't remember the name of the program that it was from, but it was 1991. They were introduced by Dionne Warwick and they did a medley. I guess you could call it medley. It's two songs. They did Mama Said and Soldier Boy. Mama said there'll be days like this. And then she said, someone will look at me Like I'm looking at you one day And then I might find I don't want you in your way So I don't worry No, I don't worry Cause I'm waiting for my soldier I love this performance because I'm a Sherelle's fan. I, I think In Vogue is my all-time favorite girl group of all time. And then the Sherelle's and the Pointer Sisters are, you know, top three for me. I feel like the Sherelle's are super underrated. So it was so nice t- to see them get a tribute. I think it was three surviving members. Um, one had already passed. And this was before they got into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And Vogue just did an incredible job. It was Cindy on Lee for Mama Said. The magazine did these great ad-libs for Soldier Boy. The harmonies were on point. And I love that performance. And I hope one day in Vogue, maybe not a, re- a recorded cover, but I hope they do cover Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow. That's my favorite. Well, one of my favorite Sherelle songs. They have so many good ones. And I feel like there's a lot of parallels to those two groups. Um. I mean, obviously, Shirley Austin Reeves was the lead singer of the Sherelles, but they were more so democratic than other groups of the time. Like, it wasn't like the Ronettes or the Supremes where there was an actual um, lead singer who sang everything and the other members kind of, you know, they might not even been in the studio that day that the song was recorded. It was really about the four of them. Their first song, I Met Them on a Sunday, was something they came up with in high school. They wrote it. It charted nationally and then they hooked up with like, you know, um, these great songwriters who wrote like the classics that are just huge. And so hearing in Vogue, um, seeing them pay tribute to them, it's very special to me. And it was a great vocal performance. They looked beautiful. I, you know, wasn't crazy about the outfits or anything, but, um, it was for me, it was just the vocals and it was them singing, you know, songs that they don't sing all the time too. Cause you know, when you go through performances and it's like, they did free your mind a thousand times, they've done, you know, their songs so many times, but you know, we'll probably never hear them sing, you know, those two again. So it's special. I was just going to say, since we were just talking about tributes, like who would you want to see in Vogue tribute? Would you want to see in Vogue tribute another group or artist? I would love um, to see them do the Pointer Sisters. Me too, yes. Or Climax, yes. or like Climax. Like, I want the to see them emotions. do like things. Oh, yeah. The- but they do the emotions all the time. I want to see like full-fledged performance, like multi-song, full-length emotions. Like, they, they be playing around on Instagram and then, you know, unreleased stuff. I want to see them perform it. (laughs) It'd be like 16 minute clips, you know, very, very cute, you know, um, on the couch harmonies, but not like the emotions are very near and dear to my heart. But like, I don't know if I, 
I think I'm just so used to seeing like Miss Wanda and I forget the other lady's name. That it just... Their voices are it's a little too special for me. I like the tone. Like I love Best of My Love, but they just don't. But the Pointer Sisters, like I would love to see in Vogue do Cloud Burst and Bet You Got a Chick on the Side. That will be so much fun. So yeah, I'm with DJP. I want to see them tribute the Pointer Sisters. That would be awesome. And you know, Barry Gordy, I think he's getting honored at Kennedy Center tomorrow. I wish I, I'm praying that they're a part of that because I know they're in New York. That would be cool if like they got to, you know, be a part of some type of Motown tribute. The Supremes? Yes. Yes. So Joshua, who, what's your third? Um, so what's your what's your third top? So this is maybe maybe this is a little controversial, but I so I I can't I don't have a top three like in totality. I just sort of go with what's feeling right at the moment. And I thought about this, and at the moment, it was um, a performance that I think JP mentioned on a previous episode, which is sad but true, and it's at the night of the proms. And the reason I chose this performance is. Because um, I think Masterpiece, like, the album just doesn't get enough love, first and foremost. Um, I also really love that it is a lineup that we didn't see a ton of. And so I think that the... uh, the the way that they split that song up and how they choose to approach it with that particular lineup is really interesting and they sound so good it's just like i don't know i sometimes i like to like do fantasy football but with en vogue to sometimes figure out like different songs what a different lineup might have sounded like on a different song so i uh-huh. love that 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 particular you know lineup of Terry Max and Rona got to a approach that song that way um and i i think the audience was really into it the it it was just a beautiful performance top to bottom for me everything it was um it's like so crisp and good to me so that's my that's my third what about you i love that performance so much yeah like you can hear a pin drop like it was it was it was a very (laughs) captivating performance and you know i love to hear max you know really go in and she you know she did really well and and it was nice to hear rona on cindy's leads on that song right you know, like she sounded very. She has such a, a pretty tone. What about you, Champ? What's your What's your third? So, so my third is in Vogue singing "Don't Let Go" mm. live at the Soul Train Awards. <laughs> But there are there are several performances that I feel like I can watch over and over again. 
Um, and that's one of them. And, and I think it's because one, they open the show with the ballad, which is not, which isn't like, you know, you think that you open the show with something high energy, but they open the show with the ballad because obviously Don't Let Go was very, very popular at that time. But then it's kind of like you see them in these like nude color gowns. The wind is blowing. They have the dancers who are shirtless and like they come in on these platforms and posing. I'm just like, this, this looks good. I just, I just thought that the, the, the presentation of it all was super iconic for me. Cause it's kind of like, we don't need all the bells and whistles. We're just, we're going to stand here in our gowns and we're going to give you, we're going to, we're going to sing for you. You know, like Beyonce or, you know what I mean? Like, be, <laughs> beyond, kind of at like in the Two Gone Too Long video when the, the wind started going and the, and the glass broke. It, it was like that kind of moment for me. You know, it's like, cause Beyonce and Mariah Carey, they have their like, they, their fan is their signature, signature thing on the stage when they perform. So like seeing that with, um, even there was a, a moment where like, um, I think it was Cindy was walking across the stage and like you could see how the, the, the air blowing was like, uh, letting, having her dress like flip in the air. I'm like, you better walk like an angel. You better walk like a goddess. Like it was, I'm like, this is what it is. So I love that performance simply for the presentation of it. Now the vocals to me weren't, um, on the level that you would expect. And it's probably because of the fan as well. <laughs> so, 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 so part of the reason why I love it is probably the reason why the vocals weren't that great. <laughs> so, and I always hated that performance because of the vocals. I was like, they don't sound good at all. But Dawn, in one of her quarantine interviews, she talked about that performance <laughs> that she was saying how like the wind was so hard. And she was like, it was, she, she, she said she didn't sound good and how, you know, it was, whatever that gets the wind blowing in your face and it was she was talking about how it definitely affected her vocals i was like well okay at least you have some self-awareness because i always yeah live singing live singing and 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 wind is is not a good combination like any singer will tell you that if the if the the air is off in the room it's not gonna be good you know what i mean because you start drying out you know it's just it's just a lot so but it's just my favorite performance simply for the present yeah for the presentation of it it's one of my favorite performances because you exactly they looked amazing and i feel like it's kind of you know we do talk about like you know well matan does point out like their outfits a lot you know so it's kind of like it's one it's one of those moments where it's kind of like they just look great. The hair, the, the makeup, the, the outfits, they looked amazing. The Everything was like on point. So but third favorite. Couldn't you hear the bracelet like chiming in, in the mic too? I feel I feel <laughs> like a lot. I feel like if I'm not mistaken, I feel like you could hear like some accoutrements dangling in, <laughs> dangling in the mic. I love that word so I much. Love I love the word accoutrement. So I just do. <laughs> I think I feel like I got it from either Monet Exchange or Bob the Drag Queen. <laughs> so, what's your third favorite? My third favorite is "Give It Up, Turn It Loose" at the inaugural ball. Baby girl, I'm never too good. Love them once, but not twice. Who plays games with no rules? 
Give It Up, Turn It Loose is probably my favorite flow song. Um, I love to hear Matt Jean sing it. Uh, I think this is like their only televised performance of that song. Yeah, I just love, I love the song. I love Maxine doing her thing. Like, So, JP, let me ask you. So, it's just that particular performance of Give It Up, Turn It Loose because it's Give It Up, Turn It Loose and not the rest of the medley that they did that night? Just Give It Up, Turn It Loose? Um, well, because the other songs they did, they did like My Lovin', right? And mm-hmm. Free Your Mind and the Star Spangled Banner. Yeah, I mean, those were not my favorite performances of My Lovin' or Free Your Mind. Okay. You know, like I, I have like a favorite performance of My Lovin' from that era and I have a favorite performance of Free Your Mind. So, I mean, you know, I don't really count those. <laughs> but for, for like my top three, like I, I watched like the Give It Up, Turn It Loose performance kind of, you know, regularly if I'm on YouTube or whatever. I love the outfit. I, I mean, this is definitely one thing that I don't think I realized at that time versus now is how they really pushed the boundaries with fashion. You know, like, now the way people see stuff that, like, Rihanna wears now, like, mm-hmm. that's what Invogue was doing in 93. You know, they were doing right. high fashion, couture looks. And you know, now the only person that really, sure. really pushes that now is like a Rihanna or something. But in Vogue was doing that in '93. Or is it Zendaya? Like Zendaya. Oh, that's what, well, as far so as I don't even, not, we're talking about music artists. Yeah, but even Zendaya, Zendaya, to me, she's more like editorial as opposed yeah. to couture. Well, what I would think of as couture, but well, to answer your question, Matan, I think that okay. I thought that Terry looked the best. Um, I thought she looked the best at everybody. I did not like uh, Dawn's hair, and I eh. it was a mess, but I loved it. Like it, it was very it was, different. Like it's very it was, it was, unique. It was very <laughs> stiff wear, stiff, stiff wear, and I was like, no, no, it's stiff there. Y- yes, baby, <laughs> it's stiff right there. <laughs> I I think that if I feel like. If they would have just gave her like a long, you know, it would have looked better. But I, I didn't like Maxine's look. She looked like a, she looked like a cute auntie. Um, like, I love her. She like Maxine. You got it. This is another thing. People don't give Maxine props, but there was no one in mainstream music rocking natural hairstyles like Maxine oh, exactly. was from from the gate. Like she would have her micro braids. You know, mm-hmm. she was doing all of that during EV3. She chopped it she all off. And you know what she I'm saying? Like, she, nobody else in, in like mainstream music was really giving that type of natural vibe. And like, we're going to be natural and we're going to make it, we're going to make it high fashion. Especially in a girl group. Especially for sure. in a girl group. Yeah, I, I especially want to give her I love Maxine with like her short hair. Like her hair in the Don't Let Go video, I thought she looked amazing. Uh, Even in I the in the eighty three era when she would have she would dye her hair different shades of blonde. Like she like one of my performances is, is uh she had like platinum blonde hair with her natural. I was I loved her that way because you didn't see a lot of black women. You know, in a pop in a pop space, 
given that look and she and she she worked it she worked it because and don't and don't don't look over to that bodysuit baby maxine looked maxine <laughs> i would love to interview her like i love maxine i would love to ask her like if she got any pushback or if she had to really fight any battles i heard her speak about it briefly at one point right. i remember her saying yes. in an interview that there was always a battle as far as her weight and different things. I, I did hear her mention something like that, but I've never heard her speak in depth about like what that fight must have been like. Because in the 90s, to be a black woman and be like, I'm going to have short hair and not a short Holly Berry cut, but like uh, a, a Caesar, uh, a, <laughs> a low cut, you know, in 97, like that was unheard of for a mainstream yes. group. So I would yes. love to hear what her journey was and how she had to fight. Because yeah, I'm sure there was a fight, you know, to to own her look. So that is yeah. something I definitely... Maxine, I know you or your people are listening. We love you. Come on. Please. We will... I would, I would love to hear those stories. Like, you know... Please. Yeah, we she have liked a the lot. tweets. Mm-hmm. She liked the tweets. Yeah, because yeah, because it's a, it's a, it the the battles that black women fight behind the scenes are very real. Like Don Rashar talked about it when they did Diddy Dirty Money, and they told Diddy you should have a light skin girl, and like you know just like that whole portion. Like even Beyonce, you know, talking about how they you know her album they didn't think that she had any hits, but it's just kind of like you know I know that there are stories that would be empowering for young black women in this day and age that I think that would she it would be beneficial to share. So agree. And I for the for the record though, I loved Maxine's little micro braids and I thought she looked the best for me. Like she was given like sassy auntie for sure and I lived for it. I mean I mean the 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 boobies Very much so sassy auntie. The boobies were sitting. The boobies were the boobies were sitting. The we were, but I, I, I think I thought Terry looked the best uh, for in that performance. Matan, what's your well, second my favorite? second favorite performance would have to be "Don't Let Go," but on SNL in 1997. <laughs> Because like um, don't like there's so much going on with that song. It's a huge song. Of course, we're used to Don singing lead on it, but I feel like this performance to me, it just kind of took it almost to another level. I love the interaction with the band, and I love how it introduced that kind of break that they do with. Like that's not in the actual song so I love when artists you know with the live version they kind of do something different and add something um, to it so that part 
it, it, there was just a magic. And I remember the audience started clapping with it. I, I love everything about the performance. I love just, there's a, a kind of ferocity in it almost. And they look like, uh, I don't know, like almost like Egyptian deities or something. Um, they have the, the big statement, jewelry, the silver, they're in all black. Everyone looks great to me. Um, Cindy and Terry have the, like the same kind of hairstyle that's to me at the time, I don't think I've ever seen a hairstyle like that. I don't know what it's called. And then Maxine, how we were talking about, she has her natural hair. So they look great. They sound great. Um, and I think there was some controversy with that episode because they're supposed to do whatever. And there are performances, um, there are clips of the performance, I guess the dress rehearsals. Um, and so they're in full dress and you see all these dancers and all this stuff, but for some reason it didn't air. And I'm thinking it's because of like of the issue with the track. And so with the don't let go, like there's might be two versions of that performance, but one of them you can kind of hear there's a track playing at the beginning, then they take it out. So this is a performance where, you know, there is, it's no track at all. It's like all their vocals and, I really wish they would have more faith in their vocals and not really relied on tracks like after Don left. Um, and so like, to me, it's almost like they're kind of fighting, you know, they're pushing with everything to really give a good performance without that track and not have any kind of holes or anything missing. So it's just very, it's, it's very ferocious. It's just very raw. I love it. The vocal. And then I love how they look. It's just, it's just magic to me. Their 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 outfits are very like matrix. Yes, to me, like all the the all black, the slick back hair, the dark lip, very much so. Um, and and like I said, um, Maxine rocking this natural hair is just it will forever be iconic to me for sure. I just I have to know I have to know the behind the scenes conversation about that about this hair because I, I like I'm looking at the I'm looking at the video now because this is not one of the performances that I've seen I, I've seen this like maybe once or twice so it's not one of the performances of Invoke that I've seen that often and um you know Cindy and Terry definitely have the same hairstyle Max got her low cut season with the deep waves and <laughs> <laughs> I just have to know what that fight I have to know what that discussion was like I want to know what Cindy and Terry thought when she showed up with, you know, her low cut. Uh, well, she was the one <laughs> whose hair was always, well, no, not just magazine. It was magazine and Don. Like their hair was always unique to them. And Cindy and Terry kind of always, you know, they would do the same thing with their hair. Like even on the Born to Sink album cover, like their hair is the, the infamous Born to Sink album cover. Their hair is the same length and it's basically the same style that Don's is longer than magazine has the braid. So it was, it was like magazine kind of knew. And I think it, you know, everyone's head shape and neck shapes are different. And so sometimes when magazine wear wigs, her neck isn't that long. I feel like, you know, it, it, it the proportions are kind of off. So I, I don't think they would have it issue with the shorter hair now maybe the natural hair or something and just as an anecdote like I would always rent this Invoke VHS whenever we would go to like Blockbuster or whatever back in the day and they there was this um it was the one where they were talking to, it was behind the scenes of Funky Divas and Maxine had her natural hair and it was just so big and vibrant but I remember like my older cousins would just kind of laugh at that and it's like you know like what issue do we have with our natural hair so I I see. I- yeah, that that's the thing. Like natural hair, like black women really have started embracing like the natural hair, the twist outs. And in the last, you know, fifteen years or so, like you you can start to see that more. It was just so rare to see that 
back then. Like I remember, like in the nineties, I remember being young and and seeing Maxine then. And I was just like, well, why is she like? Like I'm gonna be honest. Like I remember watching it and kind of thinking, like, well, why why is that happening? You know, now me being much older, I have such a different level of appreciation for it. But me being, you know, not even a teenager at the time, seeing that, I'm like, she looks different than the others. So why is that a thing? You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, that, and I think that speaks to, you know, how powerful the media is and, and what, what representation means. You know, like now, now I can see it and think, oh, she is fierce. Like she is everything with it. But at that time as a kid, I was like, why does she look different? <laughs> Honestly, yeah. that's real. That's, that's deep. real. That's real. Um. So my second fave is whatever at the MTV Awards. segues in really nicely into like the conversation we just came out of because so much of what I love about that performance first and foremost I think that they like turn it choreography wise I think there's like a stage presence thing that's like on a hundred it's and I think it's because like first single third album like they were I think they were hungry to prove especially in front of a like a, a an MTV audience not like a general big MTV audience, like that they could still do and show out as a three as a as a threesome, and more importantly, I think that like the aesthetics, uh, so the aesthetics of the EV3 era, both like with like covers, packaging, all the things, is just my favorite. Mm-hmm. Like not even just of In Vogue, but like of a lot of artists, it's just like so good, and I think that that literally. That sort of album cover, it's interesting to see how they, uh, uh, how it, that concept or that aesthetic transcends a lot of different other things like performances and other photo shoots and videos, et cetera. And so I think that that performance, the hair, the outfits, it's just like, it's just next level for me. It's next level for me. And to see like all of them kind of giving some sort of version of a natural like vibe. And then I think it's also really important to put things in time and place and sort of how whatever and like that era of in vogue lines up with like Janet and got till it's gone and all these other sort of parts of that moment where people were kind of giving similar, like we were, we were embracing things in ways that we hadn't before. And it's so good to see a group that was otherwise known for, traditional more eurocentric glamour where it's like straight hair short dresses you know like long legs you know tight tight give like printed pantsuits and give like you know um give big natural hair right and faux locks and it was just kind of like okay this is really different um and then on top of they just like they were performing so good like when they do that sitting down choreography where they like cross their legs and like sequence it was it's just so good to me it's so good to me and i will forever ride it like whatever is just 
I think still for it to have been a, a, I guess, moderate hit, I just think it doesn't get the love it gets uh, or should get for um, how what Babyface Babyface turned that out to me. And so I think that is such a good song for them that doesn't get enough love. So this performance with all of the other elements just really elevates the whole single to mm-hmm. me. Can I ask you guys all a question? The performances um, that we have picked so far, did you guys see them when they first aired or were you seeing them like years after and like kind of discovering them? Yes, it was I, first aired for me. me. Like this, this performance of whatever... I I taped it on VHS mm-hmm. and I would watch it daily. Literally, I would come home from school, yes. put the tape in the VCR, and I would watch it. I would do the choreography. <laughs> like I lived for this. Oh, wow. I lived for this performance. Like this is my favorite in Vogue performance. And I think it's because the Funky Divas performances, I was so much younger. And so I saw those performances live, but this performance was a performance where, like, I could, like, I was, I guess, older and I could, like, record mm-hmm. it and watch it over. And, like, this performance is everything. This <laughs> performance for me, like, and this is a good example, is, like, kind of both because I remember seeing this performance, but I've really only, like, what's taken it to favorite has been repeatedly watching it in the YouTube era. And unfortunately, like, the I think the one the one I've been watching for forever is like so grainy and fuzzy. Like I don't even really recall what it looks like in high, de- <laughs> like what it would look like in like good quality. Right. So like you know, it's weird to have memories of seeing something first and have vivid memories of that, but to know that you like you're you're only really watching a, a half quality version of it now. So um so yeah, it's kind of a bit of both. Yeah, I mean I remember when that one aired. I remember watching that award show. And I think Jewel performed. I know Hanson was there, but I don't know if there were the they were the act that performed. But I know there were three acts, and the Vogue might have gone last. Um, but that was just it was an exciting time. I think like um, both of you, it was Funky D was a lot of the performances I did not see. I couldn't watch too much TV, but the EV three era, I remember like you know knowing what stuff was going to come on, and so this kind of kicked it off. And I feel like whatever was. Probably one of the songs that they performed the most as far as televised performances. There were so many of them. Mm. I don't think anything will ever surpass Hold On. They did Hold On like a thousand times, but whatever. There are a lot of televised performances of whatever. And and also, I, and Josh, you made an interesting correlation with like Janet and Got Till It's Gone. Because that was literally, I think, within the same year. I think Velvet Rope came out maybe in 96 or 97. It was 97. Later in 97. And it's so interesting, though, because Got Till It's Gone... It had such a, you know, I'm a Janet fan. It had such a, um, a lackluster response initially, but she she saved the era with Together Again, which is the more pop dance up tempo record. And in Vogue, you know, definitely, I think people, because I remember when EV3 came out, and now when I look at the cover and all the artwork and even the video for whatever, I'm like, this. It's like next level. This is mm-hmm. high fashion, avant-garde, everything. That was some but American at that time, Horror Story stuff in that video. <laughs> but at that time, I remember thinking like, hmm, this is different. Like, I didn't hate it. I obviously liked it because I went out and bought it. I supported it and I, I played it out. But I remember thinking, this is so different. And I remember looking at the album cover and going like, why are they doing something so different? Like, it, like what is happening here? And um, 
I, I think it's it's interesting to have like the level of appreciation years later to realize how above fray they were from everyone else and, and how like cutting edge they were. I have such an appreciation for it today versus then. Like then I thought like, well, this is interesting. I don't get it. I don't know why it's so different <laughs> than what I'm used to seeing, but I didn't hate it. But now I have such a higher level of appreciation for it. And I think that if only they had like a together again, the way Janet had that second single, which like really saved the velvet rope. Like if only they had had that second single to really take them, you know, to to really be that mainstream thing. I think EV3 could have been such a bigger era for them, you know? Agreed. I agree with that for sure. Um, so my second favorite performance is what the performance that you mentioned earlier, Jonathan, which is the old school medley on the 1993 Soul Train Awards. Soul Train used to be it yes. back in the day. <laughs> Soul Train used to be a moment back in the day, but I feel like now it's kind of just faded because we don't have a lot of black artists that are performing on this level anymore, you know? Um, but that the old school melody that in vogue is still great to watch. When you when you have like iconic women like um uh, Shaka Khan, you know, like all the women that, that they sang after Hurt Through Grapevine, Tell Me Something Good, like, you can't always do those songs justice because they're such iconic songs. So if it's a cover, you better come with it or you better go home, baby. And I feel like In Vogue really brought it, especially it, it being like still in like the early stages of their career as a group to come out and sing like that in front of a live studio audience, I feel like it really set them apart from a lot of other girl groups. Cause it's kind of like, okay, they're beautiful. They can sing, you know, they can sing their songs, but like to come out and sing these other songs in the same key, with the same range, with the same conviction, amazing. And baby, that Maxine. Once is this is this a Maxine stand episode? Is that what this is? Because because baby that Maxine and I love it because like you know Dawn had her leads, Cindy had her leads, even Terry had her leads, and they all sounded great. But the moment that that bass came in and um, Maxine uh, walked to the front, she did that. She did that, and it was the right song for her voice. Because I remember her doing an interview um, years ago where she had said, like, you know, when she 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 always was a soprano, so her singing like alto and tenor was like new for her when she joined in Vogue. So like her singing how she always sang how she was a soprano when she first started singing. So like to to kind of see, not I'm sure she could have did the other songs, but I felt like. 
that song, it really complimented her tone so well. None of the other women could have did it the way she did it. I, that's kind of how I feel. Um, but yeah, that old school medley, it's just that their dresses look great. The afros, yes. I thought was a cute, was a cute little touch. Um, and like the, the cute little miniskirts and like, like them dancing and like even seeing like, the three in the background having like a whole eight count choreography going on while somebody was singing lead. I just thought it was like, this is great. It felt fun. It felt, it felt, um, exuberant. Like the vibe was great. It was just a really, really fun performance for me. Um, and I felt like that was like peak in vogue for sure. Vocal, stage presence, fashion. It, it all was great for me. I love that performance. I love them all in pink. That is pink, right? I know my colors can be off sometimes, but it, it's like okay. it's, it's like it's like a fuse like a like a pastel like pinkish color. It looked it looked like it was like velour or like like a like a, a suede or something because it was very bouncy. And dancing and the dances that they're doing in those high high heels, the robot and all that, and just not a step. You know, out of like it, it just is a great performance. And Shaka was in the audience, so that's always funny when they pant her when they start doing "Tell Me Something Good." They were introduced by Luther, and there might have been a little bit of shade in uh, his the, intro. The, the shady queen himself. <laughs> and it was just a great night because I know they won the Sammy Davis Jr. Award. Um, you know, we were talking about groups, and you know who has. You know, who gets more respect? I don't know that any one of the other groups that we mentioned in their prime were able to get the Sammy Davis Jr. Entertainer of the Year Award. Um, so, Vogue got that, and they won, I think, Best Album or Best Group Album or something. It was just a great, it was like a coronation almost. It was a really great night. And I wish the clip of them accepting and the tiaras and those long trains, I wish that was still on YouTube. I don't know what happened to it. Y'all gotta download these things off of YouTube. These things be <laughs> up one day and next, going right? next. You mentioned something, Champ, that I found very interesting because I heard Maxine talking about how she was always a soprano too, and I just thought that was so interesting because listening to Maxine's voice, I just I've never really thought soprano. Yeah, because her voice <laughs> yeah. is deep, and so voice is deep. yeah, and I I think and this this can be I don't know for some ladies who may need to hear it, but. I feel like everybody wants to be a soprano and sometimes y'all got to learn how to accept your alto and stop, you know, stop, stop stretching your voice more than it needs to. So that as you get older, you know, your voice can be comfortable and, you know, still be lush so that, you know, because if you if you spend your 20s trying to be a soprano and you naturally an alto. <laughs> are you just, saying that this is are you saying that this is no longer a Maxine Stan episode <laughs> because we took a turn baby <laughs> no <laughs> no I love Lisa Maxine I'm just saying I, I heard her in, I heard her say that in an interview even recently and I thought really you were always a soprano like to me I think it's cooler to be an alto who can sing soprano mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. occasionally mm-hmm. you know occasionally yeah. I know a lot of sopranos who have really deep voices. And so when they do hit these notes, I'm like, wait, where did this come from? You know? Uh, and I, and I do, I do know that like, you know, as singers, like your voice does change over time. And so, and sometimes people do have high ranges, but it's kind of like, but you probably should be singing in this, 
in this yeah. right, right here, it's like seeing right in, in the comfort zone to me like your exactly. comfort zone should be where you identify as soprano alto or tenor because i heard something really interesting that mariah carey said in the old interview she was saying that you know i have the range where i can sing up but my voice is naturally deeper so right. i record mm-hmm. my songs in a higher range and she was talking about how um it's hard for her to tour because naturally her voice is not that high. Exactly. She was saying, you know, her singing at the right. So it's one thing to it's one thing to be able to hit a note and to record in that, but to have to do it that often five nights a week, that will tear you, that'll tear your voice up. And I think so many singers damage their vocals because yeah, just because you can hit it, that doesn't mean that's your comfort zone. That doesn't mean that's that's where you need to live. Exactly. You don't need to live in that space. <laughs> so you can visit that space. You can be a tourist in that. That's that's probably even tougher though, especially like thinking about girl groups and like playing a role and having a like if you are naturally something and then you get put into another vocal like part. And that is the role you play mostly the entirety of the group. That's got to be really tough. Like sometimes I think it works to people's advantages. Like I think about like Destiny's Child, for instance, Kelly and Michelle kind of like play around in, in different places sometimes, but like they stuck Michelle on the bottom all the time, but Michelle can go all the way stratospherically all up, you know? And so, and even Kelly, I think like, I think about that a sort of iconic uh, Star Spangled Banner or the stars. Oh, that too. Like when they're in the, uh, <laughs> where they sound like a mass choir. <laughs> it's like, oh, you, you forget that these women can exist and thrive in other spaces vocally. And so I think that that's really an interesting, like, especially girl groups, like they get stuck in a spot. There are very few women who are like natural sopranos, like, you know, first soprano, like Cindy is the first soprano. First. Right, you know, right. like that's every like I I honestly feel like everybody else in in Vogue really need to be singing alto and tenor. That, like, that's what that's what. But I I agree. I feel like I feel like Maxine and maybe like a lot of black singer black female singers are are products of very um, aggressive choir directors <laughs> because because these choir directors. You, you always want a strong soprano section. And if you have the range, they will put you there for the, for the power. And it's not necessarily like where you should be. Like, even like, I remember watching this show on Netflix that Pharrell produced it with a, a girl in there who sang tenor. And she said when she was in college and when she was in high, when she was in high school, her music teacher said, women don't sing tenor. But if you and so she she sang alto and she always lost her voice because she was singing alto and like sitting at, at the top of her range constantly. But she's like, no, I am a tenor, you know. And it's kind of like, no, it's okay if a woman sings tenor the same way it's okay if a man sings soprano, like Alex Newell or every every Wilson, you know. So, but but I agree. I mean, I I definitely think that Maxine is an alto as someone who sang in the choir for years, like. It's, it's people, people, I think it's like a badge of honor to be like, I'm a soprano. Like, girl, you're not really a soprano. Like, you really need to be singing alto. It's okay. Like, you know, the alto has lovely parts. Well, it looks like we got some, uh, we have some letters from folks who have submitted so graciously, which is beautiful. Um, so yeah, let's check in with those fellow Invogue fans and see what they have to say. 
So, let's get to some letters, folks. Questions, comments, or anecdotes, please, please, please email them to us at partofusevf at gmail.com, and we will read them in an upcoming episode. First up of the submitted letters is from, is it Herman or is it Herman? H-E-R-M-A-N. Go with the first one. I like the way you said the first one. (laughs) Okay. So, Mr. Erman asked, well, this is what he said. He said he thoroughly enjoyed the podcast. A very entertaining, chill, and fun ride. Covered a lot of interesting topics, and I appreciate that all different opinions and preferences are covered and respected. Well set up and good through line. Great editing. Looking forward to episode two. We'll definitely tune in again. Keep it up. Oh, thank you so much. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we love it. <laughs> all right. We got another letter here from Justice Jackson. And it says, hey, part of a squad. My name is Jay and I'm from Iowa. I'm a longtime member of Invogue, of the Invogue craze. And I wanted to say congratulations on your first episode of the podcast. And boy, was it a hoot. Y'all had me rolling the entire time. But I must say, I did not appreciate the Masterpiece Theater slander. She is yes. that girl. Put yes, some respect Justice. on that album's name. <laughs> Let them have it, Justice. Let them have it. <laughs> okay, now, I do have a question. Not to be messy, but let's touch on some of the recent drama. Do you think Cindy and Terry were wrong for <laughs> blocking Don and Maxine from using the Funky Divas moniker? I like the language. everyone's views and feelings on the whole matter. I can't wait for the next forthcoming episode. Um, expect to hear from me quite a bit because I am that invested and I have a lot of questions and topics I can hopefully add to the discussion. So, yes, how do we feel about Sam yes, and yes. I have very strong opinions. I understand both sides. From a business standpoint, I get why Sydney and Terry would do it and I'm not mad at it. But from like the emotional and, you know, from the other side, I get why Maxine and Dawn would feel the way because they helped build that era and that name as well. So, I mean, I get both sides. If I were Cindy or Terry, I probably would have done the same thing. Maxine and Dawn could afford it if they had the, you know, the finances to hire <laughs> a lawyer. I mean, that's not, that's not even Jay. I mean, you know, you have to have a lawyer. You know, they're not going to do it for free. So you got to get a lawyer. And I think Maxine and Don both were honest and said, we didn't have, well, I know Don said we had no money to hire anybody to fight that. She couldn't get a fee waiver. It is what it is. I don't know. All I'm going to say is when McDonald's is saying I'm McDonald's, if you open a restaurant called Big Mac's, McDonald's is gonna say no, 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 no. You also are. They ain't gonna. Ain't nobody else gonna use the phrase "I'm loving it" or any like. These are a universe of things that are in vogue centered. So I have no qualm with Cindy and Terry being like, "I'm protecting the entirety of the brand." So you can't be out here running around using iterations of things and derivatives of our like brand and think that that's not gonna be a problem. Like. It's good business. <laughs> it's just good business. Once we retained our attorney and, and he began the process of um, 
communicating with her attorney, we had to file for arbitration because that was the only way we felt like we could work this out. And and in the meantime, she um, got in touch with Dawn, mm-hmm. or vice versa. We believe she got in touch with Dawn, and then they started promoting, you know, putting out there in the public that they were uniting to do another in vogue they they um had a group called in vogue heirs to the throne and they started booking shows well that's when the the trademark name became an issue because it's just not good business for the brand uh to have two touring in vogues in the market and ultimately it was affecting us getting work because the promoters were like how do i know who i'm getting and i don't i don't i don't want to hire any of y'all and you know it was kind of like that so then that became an issue, the name, oh. you know, the trademark name became an issue and that's how it became an issue in arbitration and ultimately the arbitrator decided and the federal court confirmed it that we would you guys be the would sole retain. owners of that we would retain the name. I, I, I agree to an extent because I feel like, well, one, Funky Divas is clearly the na- the title of one of their, their most popular albums, obviously. So it's like, sis, that's in vogue. What are you doing? You know, so I understand it in that regard. However, the name of the group is in vogue. So I'm like, you still have the name in vogue. So why can't we use Funky Divas? Because we are still a part of the legacy so just let us take something where it's kind of okay we're not in vogue but it's still the same is we're still we're still the same girls type of thing so i guess to me i felt like why not just extend that olive branch to them to say okay we'll use funky divas from a from a business perspective i understand i understand branding and marketing but i feel like you still have the name you guys are still traveling as in vogue when people book in vogue it's coming to you but terry and uh, uh, donna maxine they're they're just trying to stay afloat so it's like Funky Divas, okay, let them use that name. It's not a big deal. It's still separate from the main entity. So I understand from a legal from a legal standpoint, but I feel like to not make it so messy, just let them have it. Some battles don't need to be fought. Right, and I think that's what causes so much extra bad blood. Because like you said, like from a business standpoint, I 100% agree and I get it. But it's like, those girls work their asses off during the era as well. They deserve to be able to make a living. And even if they were to tour as funky divas, they're not taking money out of your pocket. You know what I'm saying? Like you're if you're getting Are they? If you're getting the top billing as in vogue, you know, the gigs that they would get as the funky divas, like they they would be getting five thousand dollars a gig split two ways. Like it would not be the same you know, it would not be the same amount of money that they would get I, you both have said that you understand it from a business perspective this is business there's so much liability that can happen when you kind of like split things and it's not sure so cindy and terry could still be sued for stuff that the funky divas you know like just the way it's kind of structured so i think it's kind of like with Climax, and I know you've probably seen the episode of Climax on Bands Reunited where there was the big thing about the trademark and who could use it and whatnot. Yes. I mean, ownership is so important. If, you know, they just like kind of allow Donna Magazine to do that, then who knows how that would c- kind of come back as a repercussion for them if Donna Magazine, d- you know, didn't have their paperwork right. And <laughs> as we know, a lot of times their paperwork is not right. So you have to protect your intellectual property. 
um, the funky divas in Vogue is kind of synonymous. So that would still cause some type of confusion. So I wouldn't let them use it. Like when you want to leave something, leave gracefully. That's why I appreciate it when Don first left. She just left. She left and she tried to do her own thing. But now because it's not working, don't try to like latch on to it. You've said so many negative things about the group and how it wasn't really your group when you like Lucy Pearl more and it was somebody else's vision. But now you want to be the funky divas. With Maxine... Like, you tried to start another group using the Invogue name. I mean, that didn't happen. Uh, it was it was blocked. And the, I knew... to the throne. Right, heirs to the throne. But I remember, at first it was called Invogue to the Max, though. And it was like, we're Invogue. It, yes. it was like one of those kind of things. Like, we're, we're all Invogue. So it's like, I feel like it's sending Terry to... Are kind of just protecting the legacy to me. That's the way I look at it, and I agreed with on um, Bandry United with Cheryl Cooley. She wanted to trademark the name to protect it, and when you have people that aren't um, like fiscally responsible and legally responsible, a lot can come back to Cindy and Terry just by Don and Maxine having that name. That reminds me of all of like if this feels like a current issue that is. <laughs> this feels like an issue that's happening right now for these ladies that a lot of other groups, this feels like an old issue. Like, th- like think about Motown and all of that. Like that was the problem, right? Was that there would be like six and seven different iterations of a group touring at the same <laughs> time, all as the Supremes and y'all all were in the Supremes for three days, but like, you know, or whatever. But I think, that's, like, I think it's a little bit, bit different if you are touring as the name versus something else. Like in Vogue is in Vogue. They were not trying to tour as in Vogue. So I don't really see that in the same vein. But it's like if somebody tried to tour as the Queen of Soul and then somebody's like, well, I thought about the Queen of Soul. I'm suing Aretha Franklin because I thought the Queen of Soul was coming. And just even though it's a nuisance lawsuit, you still have to deal with the litigation. So, you know, no, we're not going to allow you to call something that's synonymous with us. We own the, well, I don't even think they owned it at the time. I don't know why they didn't trademark that because I knew. I firmly believe, like I'm not an attorney, but I firmly believe if they bought it, they could have gotten away with using it because it wasn't trademarked. And, you know, right. like they didn't have any right to it, but they didn't have the money to do that. So it is what it is. But this is something interesting because 112, I don't know if you guys have seen 112, they've been kind of on social media um, going through this similar situation with the trademark. Oh, and, really? Yeah, like so Slim, Slim actually sued the other... Hugh and I think Darren um, over this whole trademark thing. Slim was he ended up um, getting the trademark for 112 and there's this whole big thing about it and you know the two other guys are mad because they feel like well it's our name we all did it but basically, basically he was like well I did it first I trademarked it first and so he owns the name which I think is just kind of it's, it's just shady. Like, if you build something with someone together, you've built that success. Why does one person have the right to say, well, I'm going to own the name because I'll file the paperwork first? That's so crazy to me. A liability. It's protection. I think that's like in the previous episode, we were talking about business and contracts and all that stuff. 
it's like how Rona, she, when they signed the uh, the deal with Rough Town Records, Rona ended up being named in the lawsuit and she didn't have anything to do with that. So I'm just saying like, there are things that can happen when you don't have your business in order. I think when the first lawsuit happened with the name Invoke, I was like, I hope Invoke trademarks Monkey Divas and EV3 because that's what's coming next. I had that thought. So I knew that was going to happen eventually and it did, but I agree with them doing that just because there's so much that can come from you not owning intellectual property and then down the magazine using it there's you know that can still come back and bite cindy and terry in the in the in the tuchus mm. for sure because even if it doesn't go to go to trial or become like you still have to pay for a lawyer to set the the the, the lawsuit straight if someone wants to sue you they you know, it's still money involved. So I, I do get it, get to that regard. I, was kind of, I mean, it's kind of like, y'all, you guys are legends just tour as Don and Max. We know who you are. Right. We know who you are, sis. You know, like, just tour as Don and Max or whatever. I definitely think it was, it, it was a petty thing. I definitely think it was a petty thing. So there is a way to protect the brand because even with Slim, it's like, obviously, no one's going to see 112 with just Slim. You know, but wasn't he the lead singer? I mean, he was, but then, you know, Q and Darren, they have leads too. He was, it was like the, he, I think he was like the second, like him, him and Darren like had like, they were like on the same level as far as like leads go. If Don and Max do performances, you know, like, I mean, <laughs> Josh gave the side eye. It is true. It's like, you know, if you tour Spunky Divas, that is kind of taking money out of people's pockets because people take sides. People do take sides, so it's like, oh well, we're going to we're going to invite Funky Divas to this festival, not in Vogue, you know. So it's like, well, that would have potentially been money for Cindy and Terry as well, you know. So it's like, it, it can it can get very muddy. And when touring is your livelihood at this point in your career, I feel like that is that really matters. Like that really really matters. I mean, I'm interested in the 112. Oh, I know, I know, I know we're so way over time, but like. I, I want to know more about that just because like with Invoke, I feel like I can, I can comment because I've looked at the legal docs and all that stuff with 112. I don't know what's going on, but there might be a reason why um, Slim needed to protect it. Um, so I can't comment on that, but I don't necessarily think business moves are petty. You know, I feel like when you're like, you're not Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos or something and you make business moves, people, you know, might not understand why, but I don't think it's necessarily personal all the time. The only thing I can say is, I mean, I get the business, but I just, I think that, and maybe I don't know the whole process, but I just think it's very weird that if we build something together, just because you beat me to the punch to file paperwork, it doesn't feel right that you get to keep something that we all built. You know what I'm saying? Like that just seems very unethical. Okay, so so ver I would say verbiage is important. I get what you're about to say, but I'll say verbiage is important. So it's like it's not necessarily that Cindy and Terry speaking about I was thinking about one twelve. I okay. uh, I know in Vogue's situation is a little bit different, but literally one twelve situation was Slim filed the paperwork first. <laughs> and he got the trademark. I know with in Vogue, Cindy and Terry were actively in Vogue. And so it makes right. perfect sense okay. why they have the trademark, you know, why they have the name versus Maxine and Dawn. But I was I was really speaking about 112. Like that situation is yeah. really weird to me. And it seems like legally that should be some type of review process to kind of like to figure out who should be owning what, you know. Well, that being said, 
we're going to wrap up this episode. It has been a very, a very, very, very entertaining one at that. Uh, I want to thank everybody for We want to thank everybody that is listening. Um, and again, we want to say you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music Podcasts, and YouTube. For more InVogue-related content, find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at InVogue Craze. Any comments or questions, please send them to InVogueCraze at gmail.com. Thanks, Matan. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks, Joshua. Um, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter. My name is at It's Champ Johnson. Instagram, um, Twitter, Everybody loves JP. That's E V E R Y B D Y loves JP. Um, you can find me um, on Instagram and Twitter at Josh Jinks, J O S H J E N K S, and at JoshuaHenryJenkins.com. And you can find me on YouTube at Your Little Dog 2. That's U R L I L D A W G 2, the number. With that being said, thanks everybody for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. This episode of Part of Us at Invoke Fancast was researched, written, produced, and edited by Matthew at Culture Inject Productions. The intro and outro music was produced by Wolves and Vincent Tone. We're more than just a podcast. We're a fan community. You can keep up to date on Invoke and chat with other fans by visiting Invoke Craze on Facebook. You can also follow us on YouTube and Instagram at Invoke Craze and Twitter at Part of Us Fancast. Part of Us and Invoke Fancast is not endorsed by Invoke, E1 Music, or Invoke Records and is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. Invoke and its names, images, and audio clips are registered trademarks and or copyrights of the respective copyright holders. All right, and one, two, three, collapse. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>